uh, say hi to people around you before you take a seat. Praise God. Uh, that was, uh, thank you, worship team, for such a great uh, time of worship offering uh, for us. Thank you guys so much. Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. All right, good to see you all today. It's always good. Always, always, always so good to be in God's house. Always go, so good to be together. You can just turn your attention real quick to some items on the bulletin. Just let you know that baptism and membership class is coming up. And we're going to do that during Easter. So to be prepared for that, you have to attend the class. So make sure you sign up for that uh, with Mr. Tongue, okay? And then also, reminder, good reminder, next uh, week, 312, daylight savings time starts. So advance your clock by one hour before you go to bed this Saturday. Good stuff. Good, good reminder. I don't want you to be in the, the Cantonese service, okay? All right. Um, well, again, it's been a really good uh, uh, series uh, that we've had together so far. It's been challenging. It's definitely been um, uh, controversial in some ways. And so, again, I just want to thank you, church, so much from the bottom of my heart just for uh, even just listening, uh, just for showing up, um, you know, especially last week with Marissa. And um, some of you, uh, I, as myself as well, uh, don't have, not, we don't agree on all points. But it's so important that we have these type of conversations in church. Um, that we can talk about them respectfully without it having to devolve into an argument. Uh, Marissa also just told me just how comfortable she felt, how welcome she felt by so many of you, which I appreciate. She hung out with us at the newcomer luncheon, the new guest luncheon. She stayed a whole hour with us, and she just kind of, you know, felt connected, felt right here at home. So, again, I just want to thank you so much uh, for listening, for practicing peacemaking, because what it does is that it's so important. It cures us from demonizing other people. And uh, that is evil in itself. And what's interesting is that I just happened to have, um, this was scheduled like weeks ago, but I had coffee this past Tuesday with a guy named Doug Strong. Doug Strong is the, the seminary, the, um, anyway, he's the seminary director at Seattle Pacific University. He is Marissa's, uh, you know, that's where Marissa got her degree uh, in Bible. And so he knows, um, she kn Doug knows Marissa really well, understands her journey. And so I told him, hey, you know, we just happened to have one of your SPU graduates, you know, come and we did an interview. And he was like, that's amazing. And this is what's important. This is from a seminary dean, okay? He just commended our congregation for having this very difficult conversation and actually engaging issues of race. He says because the majority, and this is, again, from academia, he's just saying the majority of churches are not touching this issue in the U.S., and he says they need to be. And so I just want to thank you, church. Thank you, congregation, for allowing me and allowing us to have this space, to have these important conversations that need to be happening in the church. Because the differences, as, as we explained before, aren't just out there between the church and what's going out there. The differences are actually in this room here, too. Right? And we know. We already know that because, because of the election. Um, so just, again, just thank you so much. This, this place needs to be a place where we talk about the difficult things, but then also, what is this whole series about? This whole series is about not just being able to talk, not just being able to, you know, post stuff on Facebook. We want to do that. And it's definitely about not doing nothing. But it's about finding the issue that you're passionate about and actually doing something about it, getting skin in the game, getting to meet people where these issues, where it's sanctity of life, gender issues, poverty, education, racism, immigration, whatever it might be. Christians need to be in these public spaces. Your voice needs to be there. I'm not anti-politics or anything like that, and I have no need to change your politics. But I hope there's a dynamic in you that says, I want to be part of the conversation and that Christians have a part and a voice of hope in the conversations that are going on in our world right now. Amen? Can we agree with that? Amen? Amen? Awesome. Awesome. Now, today, <clears throat> we're going to take a little bit of breather from last week, okay? A little bit of breather, no interview, but there will be an interview next week. The interview next week is going to be wrapped a little bit around the discussion of abortion. So I'm going to do an interview next week, and so it's important that you all be there. It's going to be a great interview. Um, and so, again, I need your, 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 your grace and your mercy as I have a conversation. But today what we're going to do is I want to look at another narrative, another passage that describes, again, the complexity of peacemaking. Because I know that I think sometimes that I can come up here and I can talk about peacemaking and make it sound really nice, 
And like it's really easy. Just it sounds like just be a really nice person and don't really have confrontational conversations with people. That that's that's how peacemaking is. Peacemaking is incredibly difficult. In fact, it's really a lot easier just to have an argument and go your separate ways. Peacemaking says, I'm gonna stay with you through the argument. Peacemaking says, I'm gonna stay with you through the difficulty, even though we don't understand or we're not meeting points together. There's actually uh, the, the scripture we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 15, you can turn there in your Bibles, where we're going to look at a point of con- contention where peacemaking was incredibly difficult. In fact, it failed. And it failed with two mature, seasoned, Jesus-loving, following leaders, okay? So is there actually, like you're thinking, is there actually places in the Bible where they all have, you know, the model there is two Christian leaders, believers, love Jesus, and they cannot get along That's actually in the Bible. So turn to Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. And I'm going to pray before we we jump into this text. Father, thank you, Father, for this, this moment, this time we have together. And your word is good. Your word is true. And we're coming to a passage that is interesting, challenging, but also takes a little bit for us to understand what to do. What do we do with this passage? But we thank you, Father, that your word... Um, never returns void. And we thank you, Father, that your word is what we need. And so, Jesus, would you be the leader and Lord um, of your word? And this is just, these are just marks on a page. This is just ink on a page. But would you make it come alive in all of our hearts so that we can apply it specifically to the people in our lives, which every single one of us has. People in our lives where we do not see eye to eye, whether it's politically, we don't see eye to eye um, whether it's our, our neighbors, we don't see eye to eye, whatever it might be with particular friendships on particular issues. Help us to apply this text to the most difficult relationships that are in each of our lives. Thank you, Father, for bringing that kind of healing and peacemaking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36, begins off like this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and revisit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this narrative begins really innocently. Paul and Barnabas, they are the mission leaders to the Gentile world, okay? And they're having a conversation, a good conversation, about revisiting churches that they planted, that they, that they, um, that they planted or they, they helped encourage several years ago. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll learn that there are three distinct missionary journeys that Paul took. They are talking about the first missionary journey has already done. And I think I've got a graphic here of their first missionary journey. So they're in Antioch over here, and they take this path, you know, across the Mediterranean. They go to Cyprus, um, and so the blue line is where they go, and then the red line is their way, their back. This is the first missionary journey of the church. Now, where do I get all this from? If you read Acts chapter 13... It describes and it names every single one of these cities, all right? So this is their orbits itinerary, okay? <laughs> Acts chapter 13 is the first missionary journey, the orbits itinerary, orbits, it's, it's where you read all of that. And so they've already done this. This was years ago. Paul and Barnabas, they are the leaders of the mission Gentile. They've already done this journey. It's years later, and they're thinking, you know, let's go back. Just like we go back to China every single year to develop and uh, the, the mission field there. They're thinking the same thing. It's been a couple of years. Let's go back and let's see how these churches are doing. Sounds like a good plan, right? Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. So there's a guy named John, and he also has another name, Mark. And so sometimes we refer to him as John Mark. And so Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. So that's an important detail. We'll see in a second. Who is John Mark? In Colossians chapter 4, we learn that Barnabas and Mark, they're cousins. Okay, there's family involved. And right now, family, like, uh uh-oh, okay, that could be be dangerous. In Acts chapter 12, we learn that Barnabas uh, brought his cousin. Barnabas was in Jerusalem, and he brought his cousin, uh, uh, sorry, Barnabas, yeah, was in Jerusalem, and he brought his cousin Mark down to him, down to Antioch, okay? So him, Barnabas, Paul, and Mark, they're all ministering in Antioch. This was years ago. Verse 38. So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take John Mark. Why? Because John Mark, because he deserted them 
in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So what he's saying is John Mark actually abandoned that first missionary journey. John Mark was part of that first missionary journey. But it says that John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas at some point through that journey. And if you go to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it actually talks about where John Mark said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to not going to do this mission trip anymore. So Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it says this. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Remember, this is the first missionary journey. This is Acts chapter 13. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, so next slide. And if you go to, back to this map, so it's saying this is their first missionary journey. This is where they started in Antioch. This was like the, the second hub. You had the, the hub in, um, in Israel, okay, um, the center of the church. This was the second center of the ancient church in Antioch. And it's through here. This is Paul and Barnabas. This is their home base. And so you can see the blue line. Again, this is the map of their first journey, all right? And it says, you go into Acts chapter 13. This is their path. They went through the Mediterranean. They, um, their first stop was Salamis. Uh, they went through Cyprus, through Paphos, and they take the boat, and they go to here to Perga in Pamphylia. And Acts chapter 13, 13, this is where we read. It says, once they got here, they kept on going, the rest of the team, but John Mark... He abandons the team, and he takes a boat, or, yeah, probably a boat, most likely, and he takes a boat right back, goes back to, actually, he goes back to, not even Antioch, he goes back to Jerusalem. He abandons the team. And so, <clears throat> again, this is just like a quarter of the trip. They haven't even, you know, he's committed to the whole thing. This is just a quarter of a trip, and he says, see you later. And a lot of commentators, you know, they don't really know what happened. It does, there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about what was actually John Mark's reason for abandoning the team. Now, in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, this is Luke writing. Luke doesn't use the word abandon. He just said John left him, right? He just went back to Jerusalem. So he's being very reserved in his judgment. We have no idea why John Mark abandoned the team. Many commentators think that he got sick. Maybe he got homesick, that he wanted to go back to, you know, to his mom, you know, things like that. But no one really knows. But what you need to understand is that the writer, is, which is Luke, uh, of Acts, he's very reserved. He doesn't pass any judgment on John Mark. However, we know, getting back to the main story, that the Apostle Paul has an opinion about John Mark. All right, next slide, Acts chapter 15, verse 39. It says, they, which is Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, his cousin, and they sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And we can just kind of imagine what that conversation and how heated that argument got. We know what it would have sounded like because we know kind of, if you've read the, the letters of Paul, we know that Paul was a visionary. We know that Paul was a very strong leader. We know that Paul was a Pharisee. He knew his, he knew his Bible well, his, you know, the Old Testament really well. He knew all these principles of leadership. He was trained by the best of the best. Super responsible guy. And so Paul would have argued and said like this, look, we can't take John, we can't take John Mark with us again. He's so untrustworthy. He's not responsible. If we take him on the trip, he's just going to abandon us again. How can we give him such responsibility to be on such an important mission? How can we take a person on him who's failed us before, right? You can kind of hear Paul saying things like that. And you know what? For those of you that are very vision and leadership oriented, you'd be like, that's right. Well, I'm not going to take someone like that, who we already know has failed once in a really big way, didn't even do half the chip, not even three-quarters of the chip, just did a quarter of a chip and abandoned the mission. I wouldn't take someone like that. I'm not going to risk, you know, our, our life and our team and all the work that we've done, and one person can mess it up. And, you know, in a way, we all might say, Paul's right. Paul's right. This trip is too important. you got to have the right people. You need to have people who are, Paul would later describe as above reproach, right? He talks about the Christian leaders and elders in the church you need to be people who are above reproach. John Mark did not fit that doctrine. Paul's a guy who talks about firming, holding firm to the message of the gospel and holding firm to the message, not only the preaching of the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel, but the action of the gospel. Well, John deserted him. That doesn't really fit. 
And so some of you here would say, yeah, Paul, you're right. I agree with you. Your opinion, your biblical value. Don't take a guy like John Mark. But then you've got the other side, right? You've got Barnabas. And Barnabas would argue, John deserves a second chance, right? Paul, you need to forgive John. Stop holding a grudge. Don't hold his weakness against him. Jesus said to forgive how many times? Seven times 70, right? So, Paul, this is just number one <laughs> out of 70. You got 60 more, 69 more to go. And Paul would later on talk about encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, being patient with every single person. And here's where I think it would get most intense, and here's where I think they, where they departed. You guys remember who Paul was before. He was, he was Paul, right? He was Saul, right? And when Saul became Paul, he went from Christian persecutor to a Christian prophet, and when he became a Christian, because of his reputation of being the person who threw other Christians in jail and murdered other Christians, not one Christian leader would speak to Paul. Not one Christian church, not one Christian audience, he could not get a hearing. No one trusted him. No, one, no other Christian used their influence, their platform to say, hey, this guy's okay. This guy, Paul's okay. So let me kind of introduce, let me be a bridge let me be a bridge between this guy, Paul, who says he's a convert to Christianity, and let me be a bridge from him to the church. There was not one person who would be that bridge, except for one person, which was Barnabas, right? And so Barnabas is there, and Barnabas is looking at Paul, like incredulous. He's like, Paul, you of all people should know. You of all people should know that when everyone has given up on someone, there's always needs to be someone that will not give up on that person. And so, Paul, of all people, you should be the one. You should be the one advocating for John Mark. Because what I'm trying to do, Barnabas would say, what I'm trying to do for John Mark in, 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 in restoring him is exactly what I did for you. And Barnabas and, 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 um, and Paul would have been like, you know, their blood was just boiling. And and what happened in that argument, right? They just could not come. They just came to a complete impasse. And after they had known each other for about 15 years at this particular time, and the agree disagreement got so intense that they were so set at each other's throat, each other's throats. These are the leaders of the Gentile mission. These are kind of like the most mature Christians on the planet Earth at this particular time. And after 15 years of friendship. They bitterly separate. What do you do with that? And the Bible just goes on. Luke, just in the story, he just goes on. One went, you know, this way to Paphos, and the other one went this way. And they just go on. Scripture here at this particular point never says who was right and who was wrong. In other words, this is really important. This narrative is not prescriptive. A prescriptive text would be, for example, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, which says, do not murder. That is a prescriptive text. It is saying what to do. It is modeling what to do, right? It says, do not murder, so we don't do that. This particular text here, the way that Luke describes it, it is not a prescriptive text. In other words, it shouldn't be read to mean this. You read this text and you're like, oh, okay, this is what happened. Two Christian leaders disagreed vehemently disagreed, and they parted ways. Therefore, in my life, when I have an argument with somebody at church, when I have a disagreement with someone at work, when I have a disagreement with my wife or my spouse, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to bitterly disagree, and I'm going to separate. Okay? Everyone does that. The whole world does that. But this is not what the Scripture is teaching. This is not a prescriptive text. In fact, when you read this text, it's so awkward the way that, because there is no judgment. It's kind of like when, when Luke is writing this, he just writes it. He writes it in a very reserved way. He puts moral, no moral judgment on Paul was right. Paul had the better wisdom. Barnabas was right. Barnabas had the better wisdom. Better wisdom. It's more like this is what happened. And uh, we understood both sides. And they just decided to go different ways. And we're just moving on, <laughs> you know. It's kind of like the first moment in the New Testament scriptures of it is what it is moment. <laughs> That's what it was. It is what it is. What do we do? Let me 
apply this politically to where the polarizing climate is today, even in this room, okay? For example, some of you might have voted Republican because the Bible explicitly states in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. And you applied that particular verse to unborn babies, and you were right to do so. And you had good reason to vote that way, right? But there are some of you who voted Democrat, again, because the Bible, and you're using the same verse, because the Bible explicitly states in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. But the way you applied that was different. You applied that to racism, particularly inner-city African-American racism, generational welfare, generational welfare, and violence. And so you are using the same truth. There is a truth between you that is actually dividing you. Do you get that? Paul and Barnabas, right, they're using Scripture. They're quoting Scripture to each other. There's a truth that they have between them, the Scriptures. One, Paul is saying, my opinion, where I understand the value is in God's righteousness and God's holiness. Therefore, John Mark should not be with us. Paul, on the other hand, is also quoting Scripture. He has a truth. He is relying upon and going to the mercy of God. Therefore, John Mark should be with us. There is a truth between them. But that truth between them is actually dividing them. So what do we do? Do we have Republican churches and Democrat churches? Do we have pro-life churches and pro-choice churches? Do we have pro-immigration churches and pro-non-immigration churches? I mean, what do we do? Do we just keep on dividing? Do we, you know, because it's, it's happening right here, you know, in the pews. What do we do? Some of you voted Republican because of job creation. Some of you don't voted Democrat because of job creation. By the way, the scriptures don't say anything about job creation, right? Uh, I found one scripture uh, that talks a little about job creation. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers. That's what it says. So wise, so wise. I want you to know that in a lot of these things that we talk about today that are in the news, there's actually not, there are no specifics, things in the Bible that is specifically addressing these things. Even immigration, I'm just, you know, that's kind of touchy, but even immigration. Now, people could say what the Old Testament is always talking about, the alien immigrant and the poor. And yeah, I understand that. But that was a very different national context back then versus what we have today, all right? So what do we do in these situations? Well, we do what we've always been done, what we've always done, is we are exercising judgment over these areas. If you go back to verse 38, Paul says he did not think it wise. That's really important. It's not, I did not think it right. I did not think it wrong. He didn't make a moral judgment. He's saying a lot of these things require us to take wisdom because there is no passage in scripture that says for example build a wall there is no example in scripture to say not to build a wall there is no passage in scripture that says when a young missionary john mark has forsaken his work on the first journey first journey that you should give him a second chance there's no scripture that says that to do that and there's no scripture that says not to do that either right and so no biblical text it says not to. So most of our decisions in our lives are an effort to apply biblical principles to situations that the Bible does not deal with directly, explicitly. And so what we do is we make our best value judgment. We make our best wisdom judgment. And the problem is this, is that our wisdom differs depending on your background, your economics, your upbringing. Your wisdom is going to be different. And so what do we do? What do you do when the truth between us, because we have Republicans and Democrats or whatever we have here, okay? What do we do in a room like this where the truth between us can actually divide us? I want to give you four things that we can learn from the text, all right? Number one on your outline is choose a better story. Number one, choose a better story. And this is where it starts. Here's the thing. Instead of the Bible being neutral and non-prescriptive in this particular instance, in Acts chapter 15, there could have been, there could have been a better story. In other words, I'm kind of calling out in a way the failure of both Paul and Barnabas that they couldn't peacemake. There could have been a better story. Instead, we have to read this as being neutral 
and non-prescriptive. Instead, I would have wanted, what did we want of our leaders? We want our leaders to be better than that. We want there to be a better story, a story that would have been redemptive in their argument and prescriptive in their argument, where I don't know how it worked out. They worked things out where somehow they went together. There was some plan, right? Here's what you can, here's what you can do. When two well-intentioned believers, when they fundamentally disagree. Here's a scripture I think that we need to center this conversation around in our politically divided conversations, in our politically divided congregation, in our world, is this. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the verse that we need today. If it is possible. And I like that it says, if it is possible, right? Because we all know that it's not always possible. What happened between Paul and Barnabas happens all the time. Two people disagree on certain things and decide, well, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. That ha- that's, that's, that's not Christian or non-Christian. That just happens all the time. That happens in households, brother and sister, husband, husband and wife, between friends, co-workers, neighbors. We just don't talk to each other, Right? If it is possible, because the Bible also knows that it's not always possible, but if it is possible, and then he says this, as far as it depends on you, and that's so wise, right? Because you can't always control. If you go to another person and try to make peace, and if that person doesn't, you you say sorry, you try to offer forgiveness, and that person does not want to receive that, or doesn't receive it well, or isn't quite ready to forgive you, you have no control, or is just wants to remain mad at you and hold a grudge. You have, no over, you have no control of their reaction. But you still have control of what you're going to do if you're still going to try to even have that conversation to make peace. And so I really want to commend, because there's some people in here, and I, I've walked with you, Uh, many of you actually, over the years, where you had a difficult conversation, you had a difficult friendship, and you had to figure, you wanted to figure out ways, how can I, how can I build a bridge, how can I mend these things together, and you called me, or you called Tongue, or you called a counselor, or something like that, and you said, I'm having, I'm having some beef, right, with this other person, can you help mend that relationship, and we've stepped in in different ways, and I just want to tell you, that is so good, that is the right thing to do. That is, that is writing the better story. Why? Because the common story is just let's be bitter and just part ways and go to different churches. But the better story, the more redemptive and prescriptive story, is let's figure out how to have a conversation. Let's figure out how to work through these things. Let's figure out how to forgive one another. Let's, have, let's figure out how Jesus Christ can be the light and the healing and the power that we need in order us, if with our differences, to still be in fellowship. So write and choose the better story. The second thing, the church needs a diversity of strengths in values and more importantly, action. The church needs a diversity of strengths in our different values. You voted certain different ways because of your biblical values. And I have no need to change your political stance. I have no need to change your political value. Whatever you have, as long as you feel like the God is leading you, then praise God and go with it. But the church, we need that diversity of values. What's really good is that, you see, Paul was really big on the, on the truth, on the truth-telling side. Paul was really good on the, on the, on the encouragement, and, and Barnabas was really good on the encouragement uh, and mercy side. And we need people like that in the church. You guys know me. You guys, I've been here almost 14 years, right? I mean, you guys know, you guys know me that I, I'm, I'm more vision-oriented. That's my strength. I like to forecast things. I like to envision things. They come to pictures in my mind, and they're beautiful and wonderful, and I like to go in a particular direction and do things a certain way because I can just see how God can build the church, right? But it drives Angel crazy sometimes, okay? Just letting you know because I can be so vision-oriented that I can forget all the details. And here's the thing. You have to know that every single time with, your, with, with every corresponding strength that you have, there is a corresponding weakness, My strength might be envisioning, but because of that, I have a weakness in the details. 
For some of you that are really administratively gifted, your strength might be administrative logistics, getting things done to a T. You don't need anyone, anyone else's help. You can juggle 10 plates. It's like, no problem, right? Give me another one, Roy. You know, I can do it. And you're really good administrative logistically, but sometimes because of your strength, you, you can't see the big picture. And so we need people like that with different convictions, different values, that all needs so that we can, so that when we get too strong in one area, people can kind of hold us back and say, hey, look at the bigger picture. Let me just get an example. This particular series that we're doing right now, all right, it's, yeah, like if you are here last week, a bit controversial. I mean, and then the week before, Pastor David Davidson, again, started the issue on race. Let me tell you what happened, uh, how this series came about. I had this series planned more than a year ago. I had all the topics lined up. I was going to have the, the South Seattle police captain come in. I was going to interview him. I was going to have an interview panel on race. I was going to have an interview panel on gender issues. I was going to have an interview panel on different world religions. I was going to have an interview panel on abortion. I was going to do all of those. All right? Now, what I did was that, in, since I didn't want to shock, like, have too much shock, right, is about a week or two before the series, I, I emailed out about, I don't know, 15, 20 leaders in the church, okay? And I said, hey, I, you know, I don't usually do this, you know, uh, but I'm just going to let you know that there's some uh, controversial topics that are coming up. Um, I feel really strongly about this. A country's divided. The church is divided in these pews, uh, even on the English side, even on the Chinese side. You got Democrats, Republicans, whatever like that. I just want you to know that the church needs to be a place, like I said in the first week, where everyone belongs. Amen? The church needs to be a place where everyone belongs. And, and if we can't have conversation around these difficult issues, then we are just going to divide. And that is not what the church is supposed to be. And so I said, the church needs to be a place where we can have these type of conversations. And so I sent that out and said, here are all the conversations so you won't be too, you don't be too shocked. Again, I sent it about 15 of our leaders, right? The overwhelming response I got from our leaders was like, this is amazing. I'm so glad we're doing something like this because no one else is talking about it. My friends or everyone, everyone outside is talking about it, but no one in the church is talking about it. And these are all important issues, right? And I was like, okay, amen, that's awesome. But I had about two or three people, okay, who... It wasn't pushback. It was just reservation. It was just reservation. And again, I'm sending this email out to leaders. I'm not sending it out to just, you know, a person that attends, you know, once a month or something like that. These are people I respect. These are people I think have wisdom. There's nothing in the Bible that says, do a five-week series on these issues, right? I mean, this is all wisdom. This is like, what is our context? What's happening in our world? What's happening in our church? And so what is the word that needs to come at this time? There, there's, there, there's, just, there's just guidance like that. The specifics and the wisdom need to come from us and from the people as our leaders as we work together. And so the leaders came back and a couple of them said, and just worked with me and said, we think it's good, but you've got five of these huge issues and you want to tackle each single one of those every week? Are you crazy? Are you kind of like out of your mind, right? But in my mind, like, oh man, it looks so good. It's going to work really perfectly. It's great. You know, the church is going to love it, you know, and it's going to help us move us forward. But through talking with them, because I respect them, and this was just another piece of peacemaking too. And I listened to their, to their, because I have my strength and vision for it, but then I also kind of lose the details and said, you know, it would be so much more effective in what you're doing, if you would cut down the number of topics that we do and go a little bit deeper into them, like help land the plane because these things can be really divisive in the church. They already are. And you don't want to break it anymore, right, Roy? Yeah, no, I don't. And so land the plane a little bit easier, right? Land the plane a little bit easier. And so that's what I did. And so I cut down the topics to only two. We talk about race, right, last week. We took two weeks of that. Next week, we're going to talk about abortion or have a conversation surrounding abortion. Two hot topic things that people don't talk about in the church. But we need to have these conversations because there's already division here. And if we can't come together here, then what hope is there for the rest of the world? And so we need people who have very conservative values. And we need people in here who have very liberal values. We need people here who have very conservative values, but they're backed up biblically. You better, you better have your good backing up in the scripture, where this is coming from, all right? If, if, if I were up here and I had a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in one hand, all right, church, we got to be clear, all right? There's a lot of popular opinion culture, but your, whatever your biblical value is, whatever your values are, it needs to come from the word of God. 
And so if you have a, quote, unquote, a liberal point of view, show me where that is in Scripture. Don't just go along with popular culture. Same with your conservative value, too. That makes sense, right? Okay? Uh, that's the thing is people are a lot. There is the truth between us that we are choosing different things because our biblical value. And so we need the diversity of that strength in this room. Okay, third thing. Individuals in the church should judge their judgment calls. Individuals in the church should judge their judgment calls. In other words, okay, this is as close I can say where I'm trying to change you, <laughs> all right? I don't need to change your politics, but this is it. A lot, of us, a lot of us have deep biblical convictions about things. And my point in this series was, okay, if you're in your series of sanctity of life, if it's immigration, if it's racism, don't just post stories on Facebook that have your point. And, or don't just hide away from things, but actually go and meet people who, those situ- who are living in those situations. Actually minister to people who are in those situations, and your, your idea might change. Your heart might change to see what actually is going on. Let me just give you an example. Um, <clears throat> this past week, I, was, I had to go to Dearborn uh, just to talk to a teacher real quick. On the way to Dearborn, I was walking. I was walking towards the driveway on this side. I saw what looked like it was, a, it was a, a more elderly gentleman, maybe in his, 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 um, his 40s. He was, he was walking across as well, heading to the direction of the school. But instead of walking on the path that's right across, he was walking on the, along the side of the bushes, right? And as he was walking, I could tell him he was stumbling, you know, like this. He was stumbling along. Took a little second look at him. He looked like he was homeless. He was stumbling along, and he was just walking along the edge of the bushes. I saw him slip, like his feet literally <laughs> fell like this, and he slipped onto the ground. That happened twice, okay? And so, so automatically, this guy's drunk, this guy's homeless, this guy's hopped up on drugs, right? He's on school property, and right away, where am I going with this, right? I'm going to call the police, right? He's on school property. He's, he's heading in the direction of the school, right? We all care about kids. This is not, this is not right, I'm going to call the police. So I called the police. So I had the police on the phone. And I, again, I'm over on this side. He's over there. And I'm, I'm just walking along. But my eyes are over here because I didn't, you know, want him to, to, to know or anything like that. And so I'm calling. And I called the police. I told, called the description, told them what's going on. And then I said, well, he's, he's head, now he's heading to, and he urinated over there to, to you know, it's okay. He's urinating now, uh, you know, giving all, you know, play by play of what's going on, you know, because they ask you all these questions, keep you on the line. I said, okay, he's heading to the, he started heading towards the school, like into the driveway into there. I said, look, he's heading into the school right now. Um, I'm just going to follow him, okay, because, you know, and then the person, and nine one's like, don't follow him, you know, no, don't do that, it's the last thing you want to do, don't follow him, you know, you might get hurt or something like that, I said, he's now, this was at the end of school, and so about 10, 10, 15 minutes after school, so there were only a few kids left on campus, thankfully, but there were a couple of kids in the front of the entrance, and I said, look, he's five feet away from the kids, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay really close to him, all right, so I just follow him, and, um, Get into the door, and then right when he gets in the door, he's he's stoned out of his mind. He is. He gets into the door, and his daughter, a child, runs to him. And this is right in front of Principal Angela's office there. Runs to him and hugs him. And he gets down like this, and he's, he's drunk. He's drunk. And he starts, you know, playing with his daughter and saying all this stuff like that. And I'm just in horror. And first, I still don't know what's going on. But I go directly to Angela because Principal Angela's in the office. And I go to Angela. And he's, so I'm, I'm here with Angela. And he's literally right there, right at that point with his daughter. And I said, who is this guy? You know, I'm just like really angry. I'm really disturbed. Who is this guy? Is this guy really a parent or, you know, stuff like that? And she's, yeah, it is. And I said, this, he's hopped up on drugs or something. He fell twice, you know, he urinated and things, <laughs> things like that. And I said, I called the police on him. And in that moment, just because when I saw what happened, do you know what was going through my mind? I, I regretted calling the police. Does that make sense? I mean, everyone here, you guys, you know, like, that was the right thing to do from when I stood really far away. That was the right thing to do, to call the police. But when I got really up close and figured out what was going on, I actually regretted that decision. I said, and I said to Angela, what should I do? Do you want me to call the police off? You know, she's like, yeah, call the police off. <laughs> you know? So I got back and called 911. I said, hi, my name is Roy, you know, the pastor. And I called because this, and actually, you know, um, this person who's drunk, and well, actually, he's a parent 
of, of one of the kids, kids there. And that was, oh my God, it was such a hard decision. And it's like, anyway, no one here is judging me. It's like, it is what it is, right? <laughs> but once you got up close and personal, like, the, I, I didn't want it to be the case where the, gun, the cops come in, you know, guns are, you know, blazing, you know, you know to, the, to, to the homeless guy, the way I thought the hom- was a homeless guy. And then in front of his daughter, you know, he gets pinned down, you know, his hands get put in handcuffs, and, you know, the daughter is going to be, of course, crying and wailing, he'd be hauled out. It's like the last thing I wanted to do, Pastor Roy, you know, thank you, you know, for so helpful you are. In the end, the police came a little bit later. Response time is really bad here. And uh, <laughs> it was like 10 minutes later, and, and all we did is we just, and I was, I was outside talking with, with uh, again, on the phone with 911. Angela came out to me and says, Roy, he is. I could tell. I could smell the alcohol in his breath. They left. I said, let's just follow them to make sure they're not going in the car. I said, let's at least do that. So we just followed them out of the parking lot, and we saw them walk, and they were walking. He didn't have a car. They walked up the hill. I'm assuming that took the bus or something like that, or they walked from school, and so that's okay. Then later the police came. Anyway, um, here's the thing. When I talk about... You need to judge your judgment calls. It's this. The more distance between you and an issue that you think is really important, the more that you lean on truth. But the closer you are to the issue that's important to you, the more you end up leaning on grace. Does that make sense? And Jesus was the one who came full of truth and grace. And what I see a lot going on in church and going on online and going on even in, you know, in our world, is that there's a lot of people making arguments and they're really not even close to the subject matter at all. Or they don't really know anyone where the subject matter particularly impacts. And so we rely heavily on the law and we rely heavily on truth. And there's no grace. And then you can have the opposite. We have people like really close to it, maybe too close. And it's just all about grace and there is no law. So we need that balance of truth and grace. And so whether that situation, if you're a really truth person, you need to get to know people who are in that situation. If you're a really grace person, then you need to figure out what are the, what are the, what are the broader issues and implications where we need truth. Okay, number four, <clears throat> God will triumph even through the failures of his people, even when disagreements are unresolved. That is good news. That God will triumph, that God will do what he needs to do. He will accomplish whatever he needs to accomplish, even through the failures of his people when disagreements are unresolved. Here's some good news about what happened with Paul and between Paul and Barnabas. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, after some time of separating, right, Paul refers to, in 1 Corinthians 9, he refers to Barnabas as his fellow worker who shares with his life and his labor. So we don't know the whole conversation, but there was healing. That rift was healed. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, he's writing to Timothy, and he says this, Luke is alone with me, right? Get Mark, get John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful in serving me. I love that. Mark not only became later useful to Paul, their relationship healed, but Mark also served as Peter's interpreter, and Mark, that John Mark, should be familiar with you. He's the one who wrote the second gospel in our scriptures, Matthew and then Mark. That's John Mark who wrote those scriptures because he was somehow restored. The church needs to be that place where Saul's can become Paul's, where discarded John Mark's can, can become useful John Mark's. The per- church needs to be a place where we're peacemaking our community, where we can talk about the most divisive things, and there can be walls that are that there are walls that are torn down, and it said bridges of peace that are built up. Let me just give you one last thing. A pastor called me this, this past Friday, okay? And he said uh, he's one of the pastors that we helped develop a relationship between his church in Columbia City uh, with uh, Orca K-8. through um, Through our model, praise God, church, you guys are doing awesome things, okay? He's got 12 volunteers at his church going to Orca K-8 through doing reading every week. 
That's amazing. That just started a couple months ago because of our model example. So praise God. But he called me up. He's African-American. He's conservative. He is evangelical. And he said, Roy, this is my concern. Okay? It's not something that I've seen out there. I've never heard this situation happen. None of my volunteers have complained about this, but this is just a me personal thing. And I said, Pastor, man, I'm a conservative evangelical Christian. Tell me what's going on. He said this. There, are there books out there in the library, because they do a reading, are there books out there in the library where it's like two moms and two dads, um, you know, books about two moms and two dads, you know, raising up a child, right? Same-sex marriage issue, parenting issues, right? Are there books like that in the, in the public school library? And he says, if there are books like that, what if one of our volunteers from the church is asked to read that particular book to a child, uh, you know, at, at the school? You know, what if it's against their religious conviction, you know? And I said, that's a really good question, you know? I don't, I don't even really know. But, you know, it, but in, in a way, but he was, he was saying that because I, his heart was, he wasn't trying to stir up controversy, but his heart was sensitive to that issue. And I said, Pastor, I respect you being sensitive to the issue. I want you to be sensitive to that issue. I want you to have your, your biblical conviction. But let me just find out. And we had talked a little bit about who should we talk to about this? Like, who do we go to, to find out? In the end, he was like, could, could, we, could you maybe talk to someone high up in the district? And I was like, yeah, I could, I could try that. Anyway, our phone call ended. And after that, I just, it, I just thought this was a, just a really interesting phone call. It created anxiety in me, too. Because some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but it's actually instances like these that divided church and school. And I didn't want an instant like this to, again, divide church and school. We have enough walls. We need to tear them down. And so I, wasn't, I was excited. I was not going to write an email to some higher-up person at the district office because email is just not going to be good. So I said this. Look, we have a relationship with the people at this, across the street, right? And um, so I went over to, to the school, and I would talk to the librarian. I went to the librarian. He's not a Christian. And I just went to him, and I said this. I have a really sensitive question to ask you. <laughs> And he just took me seriously. He went over to the side of his desk and he said, what is it? He looked at me all the time. He said, and he said this, uh, and I, I told him the situation. I said, do we have books in the, school, in the public school library where it's two, you know, uh, you know same-sex marriage and they're raising a kid? He says, yeah, we have books like that in the library. I said, okay, so if you had a volunteer here who was Christian and it was against their Christian mor moral, their, their conviction, not to read a book like this to a child, like what would you do? And this was his answer. He said this, First of all, Roy, I want you to, and he was just so calm. He said, I want you to know that there is no liberal agenda in our school to have all kids read books like this, okay? That's the first thing he said to me, right? Not that he assumed that they were actually doing that, but he just wanted me to have some, uh, some confidence that this wasn't happening. And he said, second thing is this, if, that, if a person had a religious conviction and they didn't want to read this book to a child, then we would just choose a different book. <laughs> really that easy? We don't have to go to the school district about this, or, you know, or we wouldn't be kicked out of the school. You know, it's like, no, we just, we just find a different book for them to read. You know, <laughs> that's it. You know, phew. You know, you know why a conversation like that can happen? Let me, let me tell you why. Because someone was actually willing to have a conversation. You know, because if, if a pastor or something like that, man, I could have written something on Facebook or who knows, uh, whatever, been, and just been really distant, saying, man, the school district is really liberal and, and they do things like that. No, just go, go talk to people. And you, find that we, and then you find that because of the years and years and years of peacemaking that we've done with the school, that we can have conversations around these really sensitive issues. And there can be peace around these really super sensitive issues instead of arguing, and it's because we have a relationship. We've done the work of peacemaking over 14 years with the school, and this particular librarian has only been there one year, but because of the reputation that we have, that relationship just continues to hold. I think that's the power of the church. I think sometimes we always think that the church needs to fight about something, and we go to war over things that we don't need to go to war with, we can just have had a conversation that would have been much easier. Peacemaking is power. Peacemaking is real because Jesus is the one who made peace with us so that we can make peace with others. Amen? But it takes work. It takes work. It takes work to lay down your, some of your own pride. It takes work to be a humble person and say, I'm willing to listen to you who are very different from me. 
church needs to be a place where everyone belongs. Let me pray, and we're going to have some time of communion. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time we've had today. And thank you for your word that is so good. Thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's neutral there, but we also know that there could have been a better way. And even us as leaders, seasoned leaders, even us as Christians, there are many Christians in this room that have been Christian for 20, 30, 40 years. And sometimes we rest on our laurels a little bit too much. Sometimes we rest on our experience a little bit too much. But even Paul and Barnabas, those guys are people that we look up to as Christian heroes. They're the ones that we, we name our kids after and, and so forth. <clears throat> but Father, I just pray, Lord, in this moment that we would do the things that your word calls us to do. God, when we all sit here and think about a relationship, a difficult relationship we have someone, whether it's a coworker, whether it's our spouse, um, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, God, help us to do the same thing. Help us to choose the better story. We can bitterly separate, but we don't want to do that. The better story is that if it is possible, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. Because when we can live at peace, we're proving to the world that the gospel is real, that the gospel is power. And I pray that in this particular space in our church, that we would value the diversity of the strengths and values and convictions that people have. This is a place where everyone belongs. Because what we believe more than in just values and convictions where there might be fall on some political spectrum, we believe in the person of Jesus who can bring all of us together. We believe in the person of Jesus who can take dividing walls and tear them down. And we pray that you would do that in our hearts. I pray, Father, for all of us that we as individuals would, yeah, judge our judgment calls. That if we're too distant from a situation, the more we rely on truth, God, we need to rely on grace. And God, if we're too close to the issue where we're just too much on grace and mercy, that we would get some perspective from our brothers and sisters and find the truth that we need. And through it all, because it is so messy. Because we want peace, but in so many times, people are just unwilling to even come to the table anymore. God, we believe that you will triumph through the failures of even when our disagreements break relationship and they go unresolved. God, we need you. But we pray, Father, that even though in those relationships, we all have relationships like those, that we would not give up on you that we would still go back to that when it's possible, and if it's possible, that we would seek the peace and the welfare of others, even those we vehemently disagree with. So thank you, Father, for this time as we partake in communion, the blood and the body that bought peace in our relationship with you so that we have peace with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Could have the communion.